0: Hi, and welcome to The Horn, a podcast from International Crisis Group. I'm Alan Boswell. Today I'm talking to William Davison, our senior analyst on Ethiopia. Ethiopia is in the midst of a massive political change centered around the rise of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed. As Ethiopia grapples with its uncertain future, we're going to walk you through how we got here and where we could be heading. We let this one run a bit longer. Enjoy. Will, welcome to the podcast, and thanks for joining us today in Addis Ababa. I know it's a public holiday over there, actually.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's Tim Cut, um, but yeah, thank you very much for, for having me.
0: First of all, we are eight months away from Ethiopia's scheduled elections. Can they be held on time still? Um, yes, I think they could they could be held on time. Um, there's
1: certainly a pretty strong commitment to that, or strong ambition and to hold them on time from the government. But that isn't to say there's not serious um, logistical challenges. Um, And it should be noted that this August the 16th date that's been suggested is tentative. And that's really because it falls right in the middle of the Ethiopian rainy season. Um, You know, obviously, the prime minister and his allies and, and others have promised us that this will be a, a free and fair and competitive election, which Ethiopia hasn't held since at least 2005. Um, and there are many more political actors in the game, um, and they are consider- considerably stronger than in the past. So it promises to be quite a. Um, a feisty and and competitive election there's also been significant reforms to the electoral board and then there's an intention for the media and civil society to be stronger and in a a better position to monitor what's going on in this election so there's a bunch of reasons um, why there's sort of logistical challenges um, and what the electoral board has done is push that as far as possible but by doing so they have put it in the rainy season and that means there could be problems in terms of access so there's still a little bit to be worked out around that particular issue.
0: I'd say on the, on the big picture overall right now on Ethiopia, it, it seems like we really have two different stories about the way the, the country is heading. There's the there's the dominant, widely known uh, good news story, I would say, of the rise of Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed promising ambitious reforms to move Ethiopia out of decades of authoritarian rule. And then there is this other story, which is really the same story um, of a massive uptick in violence and a political system that is essentially unraveling. Um, are both of these stories true?
1: Yes, to some extent. um, They're they're both true. Um, What's happened over the last 18 months, um, I think almost everyone agrees on, is something of an opening of the political space. So previously, a lot of um, opposition actors actors were um, either jailed or exiled, or they were just simply cowed by the sort of prevailing repressive circumstances in Ethiopia. With the major period of anti-government protests, um, sort of 2015 to 2018, um, and then the change of of leadership at the top of the the ruling party and the government um, that was part of some very significant changes. Um, so a, a very comprehensive political amnesty, so all of the political prisoners and, and tens of thousands of others um, released. Uh, most major uh, opposition figures coming back from exile, um, also journalists being released from prison, um, and, and generally a, a, an opening of the of the political space. Now the the issue there is that that period of of, of increased dynamism and opportunity um, has also led into. Volatility as well; these seismic changes at the top of the ruling party, at the top of the government, at the top of the security services—they have very much created this sense of a of a transition, moving from one political era into another. Therefore, um, all of these sort of newly em- empowered and, and and liberated political actors—they sense an opportunity to shape Ethiopia's future. So that's what's sort of feeding this this this, dynam- this dynamism and and therefore. Um, the volatility. Um, of course, that's you know, clearly an insufficient explanation, right? Increased um, political aspirations does not have to lead to um, you know sort of over three million um, internally displaced people from conflict, and you know of thousands of people dying in intercommunal conflict. And to understand that a bit better, um, I think it's important to understand that this period of anti-government protests both reflected. Um, the sort of disarray of the ruling coalition um, and the government to some extent, but it also exacerbated it, right? It put pressure on the prevailing system, which for right and wrong, and it was quite a repressive system in many ways, had kept a lid on some of these um, political aspirations, also kept a lid on some of these intercommunal conflicts that we've seen breaking out over territory and, and power sharing issues, other sort of resource competition type conflict. The only thing that I want to add there is that, of course, we always need to put these events in, in context. So whilst it's you're obviously worrying that there's been this um, increase in intercommunal conflict you know, over the last 18 months, um, including very much since the, the Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed came to power, of course, before that, there was a very serious conflict primarily being carried out between protesters um, and the state itself. So as many people have pointed out, we're moving from a sort of vertical conflict there to a more horizontal one.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So I want to I want to take us back and and very much look at how we we got to to this place currently in Ethiopia. So a lot of this has to do with, um, you know, what is what is known as Ethiopia's ethnic federalism system, but its political structure of having uh, many supposedly constitutionally somewhat autonomous ethnically based regional states. How did Ethiopia End up with the system.
1: The system emerged in the early 1990s, or at least it's you know it solidified in the in the early 1990s, and and the constitution that you're referring to came into force in 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 1995. Um, the reason that occurred is that there was a, um, a significant change of power um, in, in 1991 in in Ethiopia. So that was when what was known as the Derg military regime. A nationalist socialist um, regime that 's when it finally left power um, and the, the, the this coalition of ethno nationalist rebel groups um, they took power, and that was the the EPRDF coalition.
0: Right. And so that and that system is, is as you say, a sort of a formalized power sharing between these different ethnically uh, based uh, political parties, which were previously part of the liberation movement that took power from the Derg. And so then this system was around for quite a while, for several decades and, and led by uh, Meles Zanawi and then. And then he died and it started to fall apart, which sort of brings us up pretty close to present day. So 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 how did this system start to really come apart at the seams?
1: Yeah, so Melez's um you know premature demise, um he was only fifty seven. Um, years of age in 2012 was a was an, a very important landmark um, in the EPRDF era. But we shouldn't give the impression that you know all was well before that. There had always been considerable opposition to that. Um, and maybe you know look at the 2005 election as an example. Um, that was Ethiopia's previous free and fair election, but it resulted in in protests when the opposition claimed that they had won. Um, and eventually, the government, um, you know, obviously the EPIDF government, cracked down on them and and jailed all the leaders. Within that 2005 situation, the last competitive election, there was these um, very stark differences of opinion about the constitutional system, about the type of federalism that were the backdrop um, to that political, you know, contest, which ended in in, in serious violence. So it, it's not to say that everything was was well and good before 2012 by any means. I think. You know, to simply explain what happened after 2012, um, you know, Meles had been an effective um, leader and, and political manager, um, both of the EPRDF and, you know, therefore of the, of the wider federation. Um, with Meles' death, it sort of intensified the regional, the sort of interregional power struggle, um, including the one played out within the EPRDF itself, within this ruling coalition, which was made up of four regional ruling parties allied with the ruling parties from five other regions. So Meles died and that sort of discipline that had characterised the EPRDF broke down. Um, And instead, um, we had sort of considerable competition for power between regions, um, obviously very much including competition for power at the federal level. And most people would agree, you know, some sort of increase in in, in corruption. Um, It was actually quite a boom time for the economy um and so these were the these were the dynamics that were occurring within the EPRDF and then the broader backdrop to this was two sort of pretty sham elections in 2010 and 2015 where because of the EPRDF's total monopolization of political power in Ethiopia um including of you know all tiers of government and then considerable outreach across society as well there was really very little space for the opposition to campaign and so we had these pretty absurd results where the EPRDF just monopolized parliament and all regional um, councils as well in 2010, 2015. So all of this tension within the EPRDF and then growing resentment from the opposition because they had been totally shut out of the political
0: picture. Right. And then, and then we have um, Prime Minister Haile Merriam, who succeeds uh, Meles after he dies, and amid this context that you describe, and uh, a very large and sustained protest movement, eventually um, Abi uh, uh, is, is is made the next uh, leader of this EPRDF, um, and then he inherits what's essentially a massive political crisis at this point, and he did so with a uh, massive swell of popular support. So, so first of all, I mean, what has he really done right? Um, I think what Abi Abby- did right
1: is really capture the moment and understand that in that period in um you know in in 2018 that came at the end of a very long rule by the eprdf with many people um sick of its authoritarian tendencies um also of aspects of its you know sort of ideological um you know very absolutist ideological approach um and and sick of everything that came with this sort of uh, this sort of approach in terms of um, abuse of, of of human rights and and all sorts of civil liberties. So Abbot Abbey in his you know inaugural speech, you know he criticised the state, um, the state that he inherited for sort of systemic torture. Um, so immediately marked himself out as a departure from the past. So I think that was an absolutely critical moment because essentially you know it wouldn't have taken long for the protest to con- to have continued if Abbey had been um perceived to be just a you know just a, a sort of a, a figurehead um rather than representing substantive change from there he went on and reached out to Eritrea's president Isaias Af- Afwerki um, and Isaias accepted his offer um of a of a rapprochement there um, and obviously that was a you know highly significant event although it has not been sort of fully capitalized on on since since unfortunately um, Abiy very much pushed ahead with the political reforms which the EPRDF had initiated, and and Haile Mariam had presided over. But that's to say this comprehensive political amnesty and inviting the exiled parties back to Ethiopia. You know, he did that in a very um, full throated manner, you know, meeting having pictures taken with opposition figures, again, to show that he was a clear departure from the past.
0: You know, that was a a very quick (laughs) jaunt through a lot of history. And we could talk about a lot of that a lot longer but we need to also i think look ahead in this episode because of course what's going on in Ethiopia right now is somewhere between a crisis and a and a massive opportunity and is probably both of those things but is also just hugely complex and so you have these elections coming up which we uh, mentioned at the very beginning of this episode and you have this remarkable rise of of Abiy to power and he in some ways starts dismantling the very System to some degree, or or signaling that he will, um, that brought him to power, and now he's looking at taking this EPRDF, which is essentially just a a, a power sharing uh, among these these liberation parties, very um, ethno national based, and now he's talking of dissolving that, um, even though he's the head of it, and creating a a new party called the Prosperity Party. Um, this, as we talked about, uh, as as crisis group. Uh, explained in a in a recent report of ours is has become, you know, very controversial and was also very tied to this question of what is Ethiopia? What is its political structure? Is it a federation of, of different ethnic blocs? Or is it is it a centralized state? Can you can you explain where we're at right now with this with this move from the EPRDF to this new party, the Prosperity Party?
1: Yes, for sure. I mean, just just to be clear, I mean, the Prosperity Party is now up and running and, and those EPRDF parties that you mentioned have now been dissolved. Um, so it's, you know, it's very much underway. And, you know, again, just to step back a bit and provide a bit of a bit of context um, with a personal note. You know, l- Last year, um, when I was looking at the situation, um, then it was obvious that, um, you know, Abby was, as I just explained, he was trying to present himself as a as a clear departure from the past. One of the dilemmas that I was highlighting, and I'm sure other people were as well for Abby was, well, he was the leader of the EPRDF but he seemed to be, have a plan to lead the EPRDF to its destruction. Um, so the plan to move Ethiopia into a post-EPRDF era seemed to be a fairly logical one, um, given its three-decade decade rule and the anti-government protest, but it just wasn't clear how the leader of the EPRDF was actually going to do this. Well, now I and many other people have a very clear and resounding answer. You know, Abiy's pro- project was to dissolve all of these constituent parties of the EPRDF and create the Prosperity Party, the point of saying that is that, yes, um, the creation of the Prosperity Party has been quite radical. Um, I think it's been quite rushed. I think there are problems and tensions within it. And and we will talk about those. But we should also note that this is a significant development in terms of overcoming those those sorts of, some of those transitional problems that Abby was presented with last year, which people like me were highlighting um so you know it it, it it is an achievement even if it comes with with some problems in terms of the the issues that um the prosperity party is is presented with um you yeah, maybe on the first on the sort of um the positive side of of the balance sheet the concern or one of the big concerns in Ethiopia is that we don't just have a, a state structure where ethnicity or sub-state nationalism is institutionalized and, and formalized. But we also have political parties which match those government structures as well. So one idea for sort of moving Ethiopia away from a politics which is just too much focused around um, ethnicity and, and other identity um, issues was creating some sort of multi-ethnic um, or at least sort of non-ethnically exclusive political parties. And of course, the Prosperity Party um, is an approach to do that. It's a single national party. Anyone, anywhere um, of any ethnicity can, can, can join it. Um, and so it's very distinct from, from those parties of the past. Um, that's, um, in many people's eyes, that's a progressive step.
0: Why and I I I also imagine there's many Ethiopians who who um were either mixed ethnically or just lived uh, as minorities in different regions who who also felt like they didn't have any political home under the previous system.
1: Yes, exactly. Um exactly. So so many people in in, in urban areas in, in Ethiopia um would either just see themselves as Ethiopian or they would have some mixed heritage and they wouldn't really get too hung up on their identity. Um, and then there are people with a clearer identity, um, for example, the millions of Amhara people living in in Oromia. Um, you know, quite hard for them um, to get the sort of political representation and maybe government services they want because they are Amhara and Amharic speaking, and they're living in in Oromia. And they might also feel threatened for other reasons as well. So th- there's no doubt that it's not a system that works for all Ethiopians. Um, but of course, that's a rather obvious thing to say because we know that this this system is 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 contested, and that's what's you know that is what that is what's playing out now really um and you know with regards to prosperity party and its challenges, the easiest way to sort of understand this is that the two thousand and fifteen two thousand eighteen protests, um, which brought change and brought Abbey to power, but multifaceted. And in many ways, they were sort of an anti-authoritarian protest. But the fact of the matter is that they were very much spearheaded by the Oromo protest movement. Um, and that Oromo, Oromo protest movement, its primary concerns was Oromo rights, and including the sort of or the degree of autonomy for Oromia region and the share of power for Oromia and Oromo politicians um, at the federal level. The point here is that there was a very strong component of, of ethnic nationalism or identity politics to the protest movement that brought Abiy to power. Um, the opportunity Presented by the transition has led all Ethiopian political actors, you know, whether it 's from a sort of ideological perspective or a regional perspective, um, they, they are all in the game, and some of them um, you clearly oppose this this multinational system, and to some extent, the creation of the prosperity party is speaking to them as it is a move away from ethnic politics, but it isn 't necessarily a move and a, and a political party. Which is what the Oromo protesters want to see. They don't necessarily see why the Prosperity Party is going to advance Oromo interests, perhaps in terms of um, putting, you know, the Oromo language as the second language of the federal government, or increasing the autonomy of Oromia, or increasing Oromo power at the federal level. In in fact, there's concerns that it dilutes, um, you know, group identity, and 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 therefore makes it harder for people to pursue their political interests in terms of you know, organising along group lines. So whilst Prosperity Party might be seen as a, you know, a, a, genuine, a generally progressive thing, it's not necessarily a vote winner, especially in places like Oromia.
0: I mean, one of the one of the really interesting and, of course, very complicated things about this, is you have this ethnic federalism structure, sort of spearheaded and created by the the EPRDF, and then the challenge to that system. Those parties themselves tend to be mostly um, ethno national parties themselves, and then you have the old party, which had created the system, trying to move itself away from an an ethno national party to a degree, um, and then and then the challenges to it tend to be. The very uh, protest movements, um, which are very ethnically based themselves, so <laughs> I, I imagine for outsiders and and many times when you're talking about this, um, will to to outside interlocutors and diplomats, you might just uh, hit a bunch of confusion sometimes when you start to try to explain this.
1: Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. It's you know, it's it's multi layered, um, and it's and it's dynamic as well. So it's not it's not staying still. Um I mean just maybe to speak to some of the you know the reason for that sort of fragmentation and confusion um EPRDF very much responsible for the federal system as it exists. The EPRDF was generally perceived to be dominated by the TPLF by the Tigrayan element and the Tigrayan region has a, a significantly smaller population than for example Oromia and Amhara region. One of the reasons for the opposition and therefore this dynamism is that the other larger regional factions were not happy with the power sharing arrangements within the EPRDF where the TPLF were given equal voting measures, right? Uh, equal um, voting weight, 25% each. Um, they didn't think that, that that was fair and equitable. So that is one of the reasons for this contestation within the EPRDF. So it isn't the it isn't the essence or principle of power sharing that people didn't like, um, but it was the voting share, um, but you know, the apportioning a of, of, of voting weight between the different ethno regions that people were concerned about. Well, just another source of, of confusion here um, is that whilst, again, the EPIDF instituted a constitutional system based on the principles of self-determination and self-rule
0: by each of these regional
1: states e- exactly and also you know sub-regional administrative units but almost to sort of counteract this sort of centrifugal system that the epidf had set up as in the formal government structure um, and the constitution which encourages autonomy almost to counteract that they established a very centralized party structure and again with a strong perception that it was dominated by the Tigrayans. This means that the actual, the de facto autonomy of either Oromia leaders or the different um, sub-regional ethnic units in the south of Ethiopia wherever you look whilst on paper they had all sorts of formal autonomy, in reality they said that all major policy decisions whether education, security health fiscal fiscal matters they said that that was all decided at the at the center by the eprdf and and to a large degree they were right so this is why you've got this confusing situation where um, the party that instituted all of this sort of federal autonomy and and everything that comes with that then they were sort of being outflanked by people were saying yes but in practice you haven't actually delivered what you promised in the early nineteen nineties. So I I hope that clears up some of the confusion. I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure I have.
0: (laughs) I I mean well so you so you have this you have this formal constitutional system which the EPRDF comes into power in the early nineties and institutes, which is which is um a really radical constitution that gives all these different uh regions and subregions uh autonomy up to the degree of self determination, but in practice the de facto system was that the was that it was a very centralized authoritarian state and it was in although even though the ruling party was was technically a power sharing between uh four of these uh um liberation parties in fact uh, one of them the the Tigrayan TPLF was was in fact really in charge um or and and dominated uh uh most aspects and so there were, and then so then that launches this this ethnic sort of and and so a lot of the reaction to that actually was was um from the from the uh ethnic groups primarily the Romo and the Amhara who um have much bigger populations they were of course upset with this and 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 that was that was kind of underlying and and driving a lot of the the protest movements that led to this and so and so now we're at this place where this this political churn that we're seeing um of this old system kind of falling apart has created massive uncertainties and just to give an example i mean there's a chance that that Abhi's new party uh might not even win in his own region oromia uh which which of course played a major role in his rise to power to begin with is 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 that accurate
1: yeah that's accurate i mean i don't i don't want to get into you know too much political forecasting but we can see a you know we can see a pretty um powerful opposition movement Uh, brewing in in Oromia, Uh, the activist Jawahar Mohammed, you know, other other established parties um, who who look to be presenting a, a major challenge to Prosperity Party and very much presenting a challenge by running on a sort of Oromo nationalist or a sort of pro- Oromo rights ticket. And, and that does present a problem for the prosperity party. Um, it's not the end of the story by any means. But you know Oromia has 178 seats out of 547 in the federal parliament. That's the biggest share of any region, as it's the most populous. Um, that doesn't destroy the prosperity party's chances. But obviously, you know, a major setback in, in Oromia. Um, to the Prosperity Party would raise the prospect of the Prime Minister and his Prosperity Party at least not winning a comfortable majority in the federal parliament and then also the possibility that they have the more Oromo nationalist opposition who could be in control of the Oromir State Council, the regional parliament. This raises a bunch of questions, obviously, I think, particularly in terms of you know, how, um, you know, this level, how is this level of competition going to play out on the ground? Is it going to be peaceful? And then also, if we do end up with a sort of multi-party envir- environment and a much more dynamic federation, because we don't just have one party, the EPRDF, running everything, we have a bunch of different parties sharing the federal parliament and also in control of various regional councils, how will Ethiopia's um, federation, f- federal system then operate in that new environment?
0: right because you might have a and 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 possibly very likely have regions that under this constitution have um have very uh, large powers um and 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 might be led by now uh, many different parties who who might be very opposed to each other which of course isn't isn't something that this current constitution has has seen yet
1: no exactly and so that's that by no means is at the end of the world i mean pluralism and and democratic competition is obviously something which most people welcome um but at the same time you know plenty of people have have concerns you know at the moment there is a lot of violence that's associated with with politics should go now there's all sorts of competitions over territory and power sharing um factors like um social media um, exacerbating these tendencies. So whilst there is no reason that uh, pluralism and multi-partyism and a dynamic federation has to be a problem by any means, of course, that's in fact, that's probably the best way forward. There is a concern that this intensified political competition could lead to violence and could sort of destabilize the state even further.
0: Right. And I want to, I, I, you know, I mean, in some ways, a lot of this discussion can sound very abstract and, and theoretical when it comes to you know, how Ethiopia is structured and, and ethnic federalism. But, you know, we've seen a huge uptick in, in violence and, and millions, actually millions of of people displaced from violence kind of as this process has worked its way out. Can you um go briefly kind of through describing some of the violence that we're seeing and the different drivers of it? What what are we what are we seeing across the country right now? Um recently
1: and particularly worryingly I think um There has been an increase in tensions between the Amhara and Oromo political factions and groups. Um, A historic rivalry there, and these are the two biggest and somewhat ascendant powers in Ethiopia. So potentially, you know, their competition at the centre and the need to balance power between them is going to be a sort of defining feature of Ethiopian politics. And then, you know, recently we've had, um, again, an an incident that was triggered and then led to more widespread violence um, between Oromo and, and Amhara elements, um, which is yeah, which been a, a recent worrying event back in October.
0: One, well, I just say that if 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 those two regions uh, very much uh, become at odds, in some ways that breaks up the the coalition that brought Abiy to power.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and you know, I think it's most people would agree that the that coalition between the Oromo and Amhara factions in the EPIDF and in the wider political landscape, was primarily an anti-TPLF, the Tigrayan ruling party. It was an anti-TPLF alliance. So something of an alliance of convenience. It didn't necessarily mean um, that they by you know, by any means that they shared that they shared ideologies and, and interests, and that they'd worked out a way to proceed. Um, and in fact, that's you know to, to, a, to a somewhat worrying degree, that seems to have been what's transpired. And, and just to you know, clarify that for the listeners. Um, the Oromo nationalist narrative describes imperial Ethiopia as one very much dominated by the Amhara and uh, emperors and kings from Amhara having been engaged in the the conquest of, of Oromo land, so particularly in the late 19th century under Emperor Menelik. So the Oromo nationalist movement is to some degree um and an effort to you know to correct what they see as those historical wrongs,
0: right? So you have, um, I think what we've described as a, as a very breakneck political transition, um, and and a lot of you know in some ways a, a lot of tensions uh, that are that are obviously coming to the surface with that, but also a lot of sort of existential questions about what Ethiopia is. as a nation and a state. Um, One of the things Crisis Group has uh, recommended is that if, if things look like they are starting to spin a bit out of control, it might be worth considering delaying this election. Can you talk about that a bit more?
1: Well, I think that's really bringing into question the ability to hold a satisfactory election in what are already very disadvantageous circumstances to be doing so. So th- this is the the issue that that crisis group is attuned to that the there is, you know, clearly there is a, um, a challenging environment. Clearly, there is huge amounts of political volatility. If that po- political volatility leads to more of this type of violence that we've seen, well, possibly the, the, the wrong thing to do then would be to press ahead with the election, especially if it was likely to be contested, maybe people would try and delegitimize the electoral authorities. It would, would the best thing then to do to be to sort of bring all the political actors together, try and calm things down and try and plot a sort of more gradual and, and inclusive way forward? But, you know, clearly this is just one way of viewing the situation. You know, we're kind of ringing the alarm bell on this. Other political actors, many, many other political commentators think that the worst thing for Ethiopia would be to significantly delay the election.
0: Uh, we spent a lot of this episode talking about a lot of, uh, in many ways, the the doomsday scenarios and a lot of the the, the problems that have accompanied this political transition. But um, so, 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 what's the optimistic scenario of of where this could all head?
1: I think the optimistic scenario is that the um, the what is you know in some ways a uh, you know maybe a premature election in terms of preparation that focuses people's minds on democratic politics we would then move forward into a campaign period which would be pretty pretty feisty let's say in terms of the way people go about their campaigning and their messaging to their core constituencies but there's no there's was, there was reason to hope that it could also play out in a in a relatively peaceful and democratic fashion it does seem unlikely and to some extent undesirable that there's some sort of overwhelming majority for the ruling party and for the prime minister. Therefore, we could be presented a situation where we have that type of pluralism we discussed before so maybe you know the prosperity party maybe with some allied parties similar minded parties they sort of cobble together a majority of maybe a reasonably comfortable majority at the federal parliament but there is some a decent opposition representation in parliament and then there is this pluralism across the federation uh, almost undoubtedly with the T- the TPLF still running tigray region maybe the oromo opposition um, running the Oromia regional state. What would be key then is that everybody accepts that Ethiopia is then a, a genuinely multi-party environment, and they have to debate and do business and and, and cooperate where they can with their political opponents. Yet Ethiopia will still need to have a, you know, some sort of um, coherent health and education, security policy, um, all sorts of federal issues to manage in terms of security and fiscal matters, as well as, a, you know, quite a lot of disputes about the federal system as well. Yeah, so what would be important is that moving into that multi-party environment, that people don't try and um, you know, totally discredit their opponents, but they look at ways to work with them whilst debating the disagreements they have with each other through democratic channels.
0: In that scenario, does that mean that this constitutional reform that people are expecting and in some ways that Abiyah has promised, that sort of uh, relooks at how Ethiopia is structured. That that in reality we might be something that's actually less of a formal break with the past in terms of how Ethiopia is structured.
1: Yeah, this is the this is the most um, divisive political issue I think in in Ethiopia um, about the, um, the the federal system as it exists and and, and where to go with it. And it clearly you know, this sort of uh, multi party scene and uh, sort of inclusive democratic. Politics, everyone needs to be accommodated to a certain extent if there's going to be some sort of consensual peaceful power sharing and accommodation with each other, like with any of these um, sort of political disputes and political crises, what we 're looking for is some sort of compromise way through where each actor gives something. as far as I am concerned i don 't see any prospect of peace peaceful radical reform of key tenets of the federal system as it exists. That means that if you made moves to remove uh, significantly remove degrees of autonomy from, from some of these regional states or if you tried to break them up into more manageable sizes, I think that could well lead to conflict. So... As far as I see things, that sort of radical approach doesn't look like the right way forward. But at the same time, it's very important to accommodate the opponents of the system. And there also are sort of many ways um, in which the certainly the functioning of the constitution, I would say also the design of the constitution, could be improved. For example, um, the Ethiopian constitution is built on the principle of, of self-determination. And it actually sort of sort of actively encourages that and places very few constraints on it could there be a process a consensual process to not ban self-determination but just add in you know a slightly more sort of tighter approach to it a legal approach to it so there are you know certain sort of constraints on on the type of um self-determination that the different groups can um achieve that's just one example you know what i'm talking about is a sort of constitu- constitution um, a managed and Somewhat limited process of constitutional reform, where you can start to, you know, refine the functioning of this system, but do it in such a way um, which doesn't cause some sort of major breakdown. And, and just very quickly, you know, the other point to make here is that um, even if there are problems with the constitutional design and its functioning. If, if Ethiopia moved into a stage where all of its democratic institutions were working perfectly and therefore the individual rights granted by the constitution were actually protected by the judiciary and also they were, the protection of them was assisted by the media and civil society and all sorts of other elements um, within the, you know, the broader system, then that would go a, lot, a long way to improving the sort of functioning of the, of the federal system and the abuse of, of rights that occurs now. So you could have a sort of two-step um, or it's a two, two-track process where there's, there's the intensified democratization, and then also hopefully you know some sort of con- constructive um, process to to start you know refining the function of this um, of this of this federation.
0: All right, Will, I think we're going to wrap it up with that. I think it (laughs) speaks a lot to the complexity of Ethiopia in general and this uh, particular uh, transition they're going through, that it feels like we both covered a lot of territory and in some ways didn't cover nearly enough. Um, So so thanks for your time and um, for all the work you're doing over there.
1: Yeah, no, thank you. And that that feels like it will have to be sort of part one of a a five-part series, so I, I expect to be invited back.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find out more about Crisis Group and read our reports at crisisgroup.org or follow us on Twitter at Crisis Group. Once again, I'm Alan Boswell. This episode was produced by Mae Francis.